Good morning, everyone. Boy, I could, I could just sit in that place of worship for the rest of this time. But the Lord has a word for you this morning. And it's interesting, he actually gave me this word last night. I, I put this screen up because he didn't give me a picture of it. So am I ringing a little bit? Because I, I, know, I know the passage that he wants to speak on. But I didn't get a, a picture of how, you know, how you just put it into a picture. He didn't give me that. Perhaps he will through it. But it's in that place of worship. In that place of intimacy. Everything is found. Everything is found. Everything. That's where he makes what we understand is natural. He opens our eyes to the spiritual. And that's an extraordinary thing to be involved in. But more than that, see, it's not optional. It's not optional. To recognize the Spirit. To recognize certainly the Spirit of God. But to recognize your surroundings. What he wants to talk about this morning, we're going to begin in Psalm 91. And for those of you who understand, who know what Psalm 91 is about, you probably have an idea of the direction that this is going to go. But you know what? I have a feeling the Lord's going to surprise us. This has been something that's been on my heart. I've had discussions about this with other people that he has laid things on their heart. And I think he has something very special for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. And Lord, as Brooke prayed... I declare my mouth is yours, my will is yours, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears. Father, give me ears to hear what you are saying. Give me a mouth that is operated by you, and a will that is in line with your heartbeat. I pray that you speak to us this morning, Father. Show us more than your love. Because I pray for that every week and and we see your love so profoundly. But God, show us how we can love you more. Hmm. I'm reminded of a a panel, Father, that I saw on TV and, and it was these three big, big name pastors and they were being asked questions and there was this other, other panel Father, and, and, and I'm saying this for the people's sake, but, but got to, each one of them got to ask questions of these, of these real, really historic pastors. 
And they were all, you know, you could tell they thought through their question. They were all profound and whatever. Didn't really mean much to me watching it until it came to Todd White. (laughs) He was the oddball in the group. He had the long hair. He... During a point of worship, he, he was the only one who couldn't stand because he had to kneel. But his question was simple. It was, how can, how can I love you more? How can I love Jesus more? Father, I, I know that's the heart of many here this morning. We just want to know how we can love you more. How we could get beyond ourselves. Our own frailties, our own fears. And just be enveloped by your love that then pours out right back to you. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We invite him here. And he's already here. I just said that so the atmosphere hears my heart. Because we love you. And we declare that to the entire world. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know the story. But as I, as I was reading Psalm 91, and I've read it many times, but as I was going through it last night and this morning, the Lord reminded me of an event in my life a couple of years ago. It was an extraordinary event, and I've shared it with you, and I, for the life of me, can't explain it. Just like Paul couldn't. When he explained that he was before the Lord, before the Father's throne in heaven, and he didn't know if it was in the body or out of the body, because it seemed the same to him. But he was there. I've shared with you before that I've had that same experience. And that that experience was so real, it's hard to reconcile in my mind. Because it's as real as I was standing here before you. I remember the white marble in his throne room. I've come to find out what this room was. And I won't go into that, but... But I could still feel the heat, the warmth of the white marble against my face. This seamless marble. There was one big slab of marble. Had little veins in it. That were, the marble was white and the little veins were white and gold.
I won't share with you again everything that happened, but I will share one thing because it has to do with this. He said something to me that at the time didn't really make sense. I mean, it did on a surfacey level. But I've come to understand it more and more, and I, and I believe that even in the future, I will come to understand it at an even deeper level. But he said to me four times, he said, as I was with Moses, as I was with David, as I was with my son Jesus, I will be with you. See, what I didn't realize at the time is that he was saying I can trust him when things get tough. When things get beyond my capability of coping with. He was referring to my calling. But he reminded me of this when I was reading Psalm 91, because Psalm 91 is about protection. Psalm 91 is about power in Jesus Christ. Psalm 91 is about being a child of God, and by being a child of God, you have this opportunity for relationship, and through that relationship, you have a dad that's not going to let the enemy have his way in your life. Let's begin. Psalm 91, we're going to begin at verse 1. And we're just going to go through this and see what he has. Verse 1. He who dwells in the... And I'm reading from the ESV. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We could spend hours right there. But you know what? You need to understand and not read through that verse so quickly. Because we need to understand what that is saying. Okay? First of all, some of your versions will, will say that he dwells in the secret place, right? Anybody have secret place in your, in your Bible? Is that King James? King James. Okay, we know the King Jamers in here, right? All right. Jamesers. That is actually what that means, because in the ESV, this is really not a fully accurate translation when they use the word shelter. It is and it isn't, because... See, a shelter is something you can climb under, and it's just there as a fixed source, right? That's really not what this is. And, and even the King James only goes into a little bit of what that means when you think of a secret place. You, you can think of, okay, I go and hide in this secret place, right? That's not what it's talking about. The word there, the Hebrew word, talks about connection. It talks about two ends coming together. Do you see, in the secret place, and, and we've talked about secret place before, that secret place that you have with the Lord. When you come together with Him in that secret place where you fully trust Him, He's there as a shelter for you. He's there as a covering for you. Now here's where Christians get it wrong. I need you, Lord. Let me go to the secret place. Okay? That's putting the cart before the horse, guys. 
Because, see, he said, he who dwells, okay, that word there, that Hebrew word really means to abide, to stay. It literally means to marry. He who marries, who dwells, who abides in that secret place with God is provided a shelter and he stays. Again, that word abide in the ESV, it it denotes this idea of permanent connection. His intent is that we walk in that secret place. Don't think of that secret place as a place in your house. I get it that you may have a place in your house where you can go and there are no distractions. And you can focus on him and it's just easier because, you know, we don't have other people in there or there's not the the TV, the radio, there's not the dog, the cat, whatever. It's just quiet. It's your prayer closet, right? I get that. That's But that's not what he's talking about. See, that secret place is a place in your heart that is literally stamped with his name on it. As covering. As ownership. You know, this idea of Again, breaking this down, he who dwells or stays or abides continually in the secret place with the Most High will abide or continue in the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow is the protection. The shadow, that word there literally means the covering. We've talked about covering before, right? Covering is a protection over So when we abide with Him in this secret place, this this place in our heart where He is preeminent, where we have this flow of conversation, if we abide in that, if we stay in that, then He is our covering. If you only go there when you have need, the trouble's already on you, right? It's already there. If that's what's driving you, to that secret place. And what God's saying is, is wait a second, you got, you got it all backwards. You abide and you stay in that secret place, and then you can count on Him being your covering. But then there's a second part to it. Verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Those first three words there are really important because it's a declarative statement. I will say, I will declare. First of all, do you think God knows in your heart if you're for Him or against Him or if if you love Him or if you don't love Him? Sure He does. He knows your heart. He knows all of our hearts. So why is a declarative statement here important? It's because it declares it before others. Or as you understand the spirit realm, it declares it literally before your enemies. It's like shouting to Satan, I'm God's. I love him. I will let him work through me. 
He is my covering. He's guaranteed it. Right? You make that declarative statement as to who He is. By the way, that's not just, okay, I wake up in the morning, I'm yours, Lord. Okay, now go about my business. That's not what that is. It's like the secret place. It becomes a part of your life. It becomes a part of who you are. As you abide in that secret place, you also abide in those declarations. Your life literally becomes to scream, I'm God's. I'm God's. You ever, you ever meet somebody, and Todd White's a good example. You ever meet somebody who they just exude the love of Christ? It's just, you see it all over them. As much as you may want to not like somebody like that, you can't help it because they exude the love of Christ. It's extraordinary. See, that is a constant staying in the secret place with Him. It's literally building a best friendship with Jesus Christ. Do you know that's possible, by the way? I know I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Do you know online? If that's possible, yeah. It is. It is. In fact, it's not only possible, it is what's commanded. Because that secret place is where He's waiting for you all the time. And I'll tell you, when, when you begin to dwell there in your life, I, I, can, I can share this with you in just, just in experience. All of the sudden, the categories of your life that you put things in, you put this cat, you put this over here in this category and, and God's in this little box over here that you put over here and everything's separated the way you could control your life. When you start to give him reign of everything, then it's not so separated by categories anymore. And neither is your understanding of relationship with him. He becomes a part of every category. You know, I never used to understand how, how Paul would say, I, I pray without ceasing. Right? I used to think, man, alive, that, that would just, that would take a lot of time. But what I came to realize was all Paul was saying is, how could I not talk with my best friend who's inside of me all the time? I've come to understand that. I've come to, to realize that and to take that on in my own life. And there's nothing that I don't talk with Jesus about. Throughout the day, I'm always talking with Him. Sometimes out loud if I'm by myself so I don't look like an idiot. I can imagine people pulling up in a car next to me if I'm by myself and I'm talking to Him out loud. It probably looks a little weird. But the point is, whether it's out loud or not, you're literally having a conversation with your best friend who will never leave you, never forsake you, who is always with you. So rest assured, let's, let's establish the foundation of Psalm 91. Don't think for a second, you know, people who, who live, you know, they, they, they love the Lord, they're saved, they, they do things their own way, they get into trouble and they pull out Psalm 91 and say, I'm de going to declare Psalm 91 because you promised. 
Okay, I need you to recognize something. The foundation of Psalm 91 is relationship in Jesus Christ. There's something else too. Psalm 91 is not a get out of trouble free card. If it is, then really Jesus owes an apology to the disciples. He owes an apology to Paul. He owes an apology to many. If that were the case, but it's not. Let's read on. Verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Okay, this is strategies of the enemy. Okay, a snare is a strategy to capture the enemy. Do you see what I'm saying? Does everybody know what a snare is? It's like if you're a trapper, you, 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 you can build a snare. You ever, you ever watch those survival shows? And they build these little snares with sticks, and all of a sudden they got a rabbit by the foot or whatever it is? Yeah, I know. It's cool, let me tell you. But that's a snare. You, you lure in what you're trying to trap. Right? You trap it, and then it's yours. You, you eat it. You do with what you want with it. Satan is no different. Satan has a strategy against your life. The enemy has a strategy to keep you from relationship with Christ. I mean, his first strategy is to keep you from accepting Christ as, as Messiah, as Savior. But once that's done, don't think Satan's done going after you. In fact, it will increase. When he has already lost you as a soul, the next thing he wants to make sure is that you have no influence over anybody else accepting Jesus Christ as Messiah. So he's, he is always plotting these snares, these these strategies to bring us down, to stop us, to do what he wants in our lives. That's what God is saying that he will protect you from. Okay? The snares of the fowler, he'll deliver us from those, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, with his, his feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is like a shield and a buckler. It's something that, that covers you, that is between you and the enemy. Verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. This spoke to me last night. I was reading it. And... Some of you may be able to, to understand this, some may not. I, I'm not. I'm not a person that typically is afraid of things. Um, but a year, year and a couple of months ago, when, when the Lord told me, go to Nigeria, don't go with anybody else because you'll be safe, they will not be. And he told me to go on my own and he said, they will try and abduct you. And okay, I wasn't afraid at all. Because I trusted him. There was, there was you, you got to trust me, there wasn't fear in stepping into that. I stepped onto that plane, I got there, and whatever. I, I'm not saying that I wasn't anticipating. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of sleep. Okay. But when they did try, and it was over, they tried, they, they couldn't, couldn't get into my room. Something happened which was weird to me. 
I felt fear. And, and it wasn't like I felt fear before it or leading up to it, but I felt fear afterward. And, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll deal with that. And, and then the next time that I went, I couldn't reconcile with the fact that I couldn't sleep at night because of that fear. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, I'm doing something wrong. It, it didn't even dawn on me. I mean, I talked to the Lord about it. It wasn't that. It didn't even dawn on me to ask him the question as to why. I just, okay, I have to deal with it. I have to deal with it. So, so the next time I went to Nigeria, and, and I'm, Michael and I went together, and, and it was kind of like, you know, I, I don't understand. I, I, I literally cannot sleep at night. If I got an hour sleep at night, that was, that was, I mean, as soon as light started to come up, I could fall asleep. And, and it was just strange. And then the Lord finally told me, why aren't you talking to me about this? You know, the whole time I'm thinking, this is something I have to endure. This is something I have to deal with. You know, and I can deal with it. I can, I'll catch a nap in the afternoon between, we were there doing the drone things and whatever. I'll, I'll catch a nap if I, if I need to, but I'll deal with it. The whole time, he's wanting me to talk to him about it and declare that he is preeminent and that I can trust him in it. So, so when it says here that, that when you walk in this, in this intimacy with him, you can declare what he has promised you, and that was against the terrors of the night. So the, see, that, that stuck with me. That spoke with me. I don't know why, by the way. What, why, is the, why does Satan like, like to work at night? Is it just to keep us from sleeping? Is that what it is? I, I don't, I, or is it that, that we can't see? I, I don't get that either. I don't understand, but whatever. He, he does whatever. Verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Be careful thinking what that means. Because a lot of people can walk in this and say, Lord, I mean, you... you you can say it with us. Lord, you know, we, we walk with you. We have relationship with you. And yet, look at all these others who don't love you. They get all this blessing. Look at, look at these, these even other churches that, that they're all just programmed churches. They, they, why are they getting all these blessings? See, recognize that's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about, it says, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. You'll see the reality of what their actions mean. What's the reality of their actions? It takes us back to verse 1. It's that lack of intimacy. That lack of relationship. 
He begins to open our eyes to what that means to those around us. Open our eyes to what that means to those who, who we're even to have influence on. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Let me ask you a question. Was it evil that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Was it evil that he was beaten? For our sin. I'm not even going to answer that for you. I want you to ponder that question. Because see. People look at this and they say. Bad things are happening to me. And they equate that. Automatically with evil. Again it may be an evil strategy. Satan certainly was happy. With Jesus Christ. Being hung on a cross. Until he realized what that meant three days later. That it was literally his defeat that was being done on that cross. So don't confuse what may be coming against you as evil or as, as something that, that, that I should be able to pray against. And this is not something the Lord would allow into my life because it's bad and, and it hurts me. And, and all these people that think that I'm ridiculous and they shouldn't. You know, I, wait a second, Lord, you promised. You promised. Are you trying to get over to something? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you promised, Lord. Wait a second, I pulled this up and you, you said no evil will befall me if I have a relationship with you. And yet recognize who determines what is evil and what is not. Because, see, God looks at the end from the beginning. What if, what if, and I say this rhetorically, I say this jokingly, okay? But what if Jesus didn't die on the cross? What if Jesus never came and became a man? Wouldn't that be real evil? See, the Father looks at the end from the beginning. It was necessary for Jesus to come and do that. It was necessary for the Son of God to become a man, to live a sinless life, to be taken through death on that cross. Only to set up the greatest thing that's ever happened in history. And that is for him to be raised from the dead. Through the power of the Holy Spirit because death couldn't hold him. And then to go and be with the Father. See, some might look at that act and say that was evil. And you could certainly classify those who did it to him were. Evil was used in that case, right? You could say that. But you can't go back and say every little thing that happens to me is evil and I claim it against your word here, Father. you got a long road if you're going to do that. Again, if that were the case, then, then Jesus owes an apology to the disciples. You know, he owes, he owes an apology to many. Let's keep going. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. See, what he's telling you here is when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's telling you your position in his army. He's saying what is at your disposal. The, the, the Lord Jesus taught his disciples in the Gospels that what you release on earth will be released in heaven. What you release and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What he was telling them was Psalm 91. When you have relationship with me and you've built this relationship with me, what you will have accessible to you are the tools of warfare. Are the tools to be able to fight to do the very, very things that he calls us to do. Verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. By the way, there's a shift here. This is now coming out of the mouth of the Father. Okay, Because he holds fast to me, this one who is in relationship with the Father, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. Again, denoting intimacy with him. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Wait a second. I, I thought bad things weren't supposed to happen to us. And, and if they were, that was just the enemy and, and, and we got to fight against that. No, he even says it here in Psalm 91. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. See, if you're living for the Lord... You're going to have trouble. Why? Because we live in a war zone. This earth is a war zone. It was the moment Adam gave the title deed to the earth to Satan. Satan became that, that prince and power of the air. And he was given authority over this earth. By the way, it's false. He was never intended to have authority over this earth. That's why God builds this army to take back the land that was never Satan's in the first place. Why do you think the children of Israel were given land? And they were given the, the accessibility to go and take that land back. It wasn't because they were great. In fact, Jesus said it wasn't because of that. It was because those who were on the land were defying the living God. And the people that he chose, he chose to go and take that back. So we live in an atmosphere of war. And, and the more you want to run from that, the more you want to say it's not there, the more you want to, well, we don't talk about that. And if we don't talk about that, then we don't have to deal with that. You know, my, my response would be, how's that working for you? You know, it doesn't, doesn't work so well for the ostrich when the ostrich puts his, puts his head in the sand. It just means he won't see when he gets destroyed. <laughs> right? I mean, how silly is that? That, that makes no sense. 
Because if God wants you to see the warfare, but then equip you to be victorious in that warfare, wouldn't that be a better choice? Sure, absolutely. That's why when we have relationship with him, we can count on everything that he is saying in this. Even the things that we have to go through that are trouble in our lives, that are difficult in our lives, he promises to be with us. How do you think Paul and Barnabas were able to sing when they were in prison? Or Paul and Silas. How do you think they were able to sing? That was after being beaten, by the way. You know, I don't, I don't think, I would imagine, none of us have experienced being beaten like that. I mean, maybe some of us were spanked as a kid. But none of us have been beaten like that. And yet, being beaten for something that they had, the, the, the jailers had no right to be doing, they were taken into prison, and what was their response? Their response was to sing, to sing praises. How do you think they were able to do that? It's because of their relationship with Him. God promised, I will be with you in times of trouble. It also goes back to the promise that He makes us. In times that don't make sense, right? It's And you don't need to, to turn there, but Isaiah 26, verse 3, and mo- most of you know it. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In other words, in that secret place, in walking in that secret place, he promises that peace that doesn't make sense. You ever wonder how some of these people... How, how in the world could Daniel have walked into that, that lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk into that furnace knowing what's going to come against them? How, how could they walk in there with, with absolute confidence? And I, and I love with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go in there not recognizing whether they'll come out or not. Because they said, Whether he chooses to take our life or not is up to him. We don't care. We're not turning. We love him. They walked in with confidence. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not sure which one would be worse. I think I would take my chances with the lion more than the furnace. Because at least a lion, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know which one would be worse. Because the, the fiery furnace, even when the, the guards got close enough to throw the people in, the guards died. I mean, how crazy is that? I don't know. It may, maybe with a lion you can run for a few seconds. <laughs> but think about the confidence that they had to have going into that. Yeah, I'll I'll step in there. Why? Because my life's God's anyways. I have a relationship with him. He promised to be with me in times of trouble. Guess what? If, If I can't take the pain of going into that fire, God's with me. He'll get me through it. Maybe, maybe I won't feel a thing. I'm, and I'm talking about what might have been going through their mind. I would imagine going through their mind is, I don't care because my mind is not on this earth. My mind is when I'm with them in heaven. And you know what? 
If you're threatening me with death, all you're threatening me with is being with my Lord. That's truly all it is. See, it's, it's this paradigm shift of, of understanding the feelings of this earth versus what is really real. Let me, let me ask you something. Do you know, except for disease and stuff like that, but, but like car crashes or, or heart attack or some of these things, do you know that in most cases outside of sickness, death comes very quickly? <laughs> Certainly would in a fiery furnace. Or with a lion, with a hungry, hung, lions, it was plural, right? That would come quickly. If you were to tell me, and, and think about this pragmatically, just, just, you know, take the emotion out of it. If you were to tell me I would have to put up with literally a few minutes of pain, and, and really the worst part of that probably being the terror of it, and then I get to be with my Lord for eternity? It, it wouldn't even be a question. It wouldn't even be a question. Yes! Yes! Where do I sign up? Where do I go? What do I do? See, and, and when you start to focus on the eternity of it, instead of the terror of it, then the real picture starts to come into play. Because... If he's calling you to be a warrior, which, by the way, he is, and you know that. If he's calling you to be a warrior, you can't be focused on that terror. You can't be. Because you'll be an ineffective warrior. You'll run every time there's something that he needs you to step into, that he promises to be with you in, in that trouble, right? I want you to turn to Psalm 23. See, David understood this. I love, I love David. David's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Because, first of all, he was a warrior. He was a physical warrior, obviously being a king. And leading up to that, having to run for his life and everything else. But he was a warrior in the spirit. And he was an incredible warrior. And, and this psalm, most of you know this, you've all heard it. But this is David's understanding of Psalm 91. Of what God does in that relationship with him. <clears throat> Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I won't be in want. It's not that I don't want him as my shepherd. It's that he is my shepherd, I will want of nothing. I will have need of nothing because he provides all that I have, all that I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, in other words, he's saying everything the Lord does is good. Everything the Lord does is good. Now, if he were to stop there, I would say he didn't understand Psalm 91 at all. But he doesn't. He quantifies it in the next verse. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, that's even though I'm going to have troubles in my life. Even though I'm going to have troubles, perhaps, that you lead me on this path that maybe even lead to my death. Or lead to, to this 
overwhelming sense that I can't do anything about. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Not because, oh, something hit me, so I've got to go to the secret place to find you. No, it's because the secret place is what I carry with me all the time. He's with me all the time. David's crying out, you're with me all the time. No matter where I am, you're with me all the time because I have relationship with you. Because of that, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm taken into, no matter where my feet are led to, I will fear no evil. I will fear nothing. Now, by the way, does that mean that he was never afraid? I don't know. I can't wait to talk to him about it. Because, see, I look at that and I think, Greg, why were you afraid those nights going back to Nigeria? Why were you afraid? <clears throat> and it was weird because, like I said, that's, that's a different feeling for me. And, and, I'm, and I'm sitting here being afraid and at the same time thinking, seriously, why am I afraid? I mean, literally, why am I afraid? There's bars on all the doors. Where I stay there with the, at, the, at the governor's place, there's two levels of armed security. You know, it's like nothing physically could get to me. And perhaps that's not what I was afraid of. But then I think, wait a second. If God is for me, who in the world could possibly be against me? But do you know, I struggled with the fact that it wouldn't go away. Even in my mind, I'm understanding this makes no sense. I even told that to Michael. It makes no sense. I don't understand. Because literally, if Satan were standing in front of me, I would have no fear if God put me there. But yet, at night, this just makes no sense. Why am I feeling this fear? And then it dawned on me there was something that I was missing. I did not declare. I did not declare what he needed me to declare, that I trusted him. And it's funny, I, I, you can ask Michael, I think it was probably the third or fourth night there, I, I finally did that. <clears throat> Slept like a baby after that. It was fine after that. Why? Because I declared my belief in him. I declared my relationship with him. It's kind of like putting it in the face of the enemy. I flaunt my relationship with Jesus Christ to the enemy. Right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, there is power in the staff. Remember the the Aaron's rod that budded and, and, and the power that was, that was put in that. And remember Moses' staff, the, one of the first things God gave him was he said, pick up that staff and he showed him the power that he would use through the staff. Now, was that power in the staff? No, the staff was a piece of wood. But it was a, it was a symbol of God using Moses in those miracles. So David's saying, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. What he's saying is the power that you have placed in my life, it comforts me. The fact that you show up every time 
when I'm, when I'm faced with something that's beyond my capability, you show up, that gives me comfort in knowing you're going to show up every time. Every time. When things get hard, when temptation comes, and it will, and it does. See, He's there to give us strength through His rod and His staff. His power comforts us in those times. And then he even goes one step further, verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now verse 5 there, that's extraordinary. You know, imagine, and we're, we're about to open up in another country, right? We've been working there for about almost three years. And we're getting land and building, and by the end of the year, we'll have people there. Okay, we are, now I'm not saying that that's enemy territory. Okay, but in the spirit it is. We know that, right? That's why we're sent there. We're sent behind enemy lines. But do you recognize that being on this earth, being in this flesh, is already behind enemy lines? I mean, just the fact that we love the Lord, we believe in Him, we have relationship with Him, and we live on this earth, we are behind enemy lines. And yet He says, I go before you and I prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. You know, it makes me think of Elisha. When, when he's surrounded, he and his scribe are surrounded by, by these enemies, and, and, and the scribe is just really freaking out. You know, how are we going to get out of this? And and, and finally, Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what's really going on. Right? And the Lord opens the scribe's eyes and he sees all this angelic host between them and the enemy. That was the real reality. Have you ever heard those stories? And I, I, wish, I wish I could quantify this but with a name, but, but I, I, you've probably heard the same stories of, of these these older time, if you will, missionaries that would go into a place where, where they had never had missionaries before, right? And, and I remember a story of these people going into uh, the, this Indian group. They were um, cannibals, right? And it, those are not people you want to make friends with because <laughs> you can become dinner, Right? But they were there and they were reaching out to them. And, and I don't remember exactly how the story goes, except that they, they were there doing something and they weren't touched. They weren't touched. And they, they didn't even know why. They didn't even know why they didn't come against them. But they were told later from one of the, the Indians who had gotten saved, they were told that, yeah, we were coming there to kill you. And, they had these warriors all dressed in white, and we were in a, they were more than we had. We weren't about to go against you. Do you recognize that? That is the Lord preparing a table in the presence of your enemies that you could sit down and you could feast at. When you step in, in conjunction with Him, in relationship with Him, it doesn't matter what's ahead of you. Because you've got a best friend to go through it with you. If your focus is on, I want to have an easy life with no pain. Okay. You're not going to be used by God. 
In fact, you won't even have intimacy with him. You can't. Because we live in a world that comes against God. And if we're not standing with God in that relationship with him, if if we're doing that, it's going to come against us. Right? And that's what David's recognizing here is the Lord. No matter all his trouble, and David had all kinds of trouble when Saul was after him to kill him. He had all kinds of trouble. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, that was David's attitude. Wherever I am, I am to dwell in the house of the Lord. What what does that mean? That every day he goes into the tabernacle? No, it's not what it means. He couldn't even do that. He he was nowhere near the tabernacle when, uh, when he was running from Saul. So it wasn't about that. It was about that secret place that was always with him. Because it was that intimacy that he had with the Lord. That intimacy through relationship. It, it, it reminds me of my life verse, which, which David spoke out, in, and it, I love this. Psalm 27, 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. And, and what that means is relationship. I, it, you know, when I, when I took that on as a life verse, I didn't even know what it meant. I remember reading it. I, I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. I, I was saved at 9. And, and I was reading it at 10 or 11, somewhere around in there. And I thought, you know, I, I, was, I was a good Baptist. And one thing that I was lacking was a life verse. So I'm, okay, what do you want me to have as a life verse? And I, I thought, oh, I haven't heard anybody pick this one. This is awesome. I'll pick this one because you know what? I want to be with you all the time, Lord. And, and I'm thinking, okay, that's just being in his house all the time. But that's not what that was. Because who is, who is the temple, right? The temple is us, right? In the New Testament, when Jesus Christ died on the, on the cross, the temple became us. That's why when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit is sent, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, to become a seal of our spirit. God dwells inside of us. As you build relationship with Him, you are building that with Him inside of you. You take Him everywhere you go. It's not that, oh, it's 4 o'clock, got to get over to the church. Do that every day so I can inquire in his temple every day. No. See, David couldn't do that when he was running for his life. But yet David had an intimacy with the Lord that he could sit down and he could talk with him. You know, I, I love one of my favorite things. Every morning in, in my quiet time, if you want to call it that, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I love to sit down and have coffee with the Lord. He doesn't really drink his, so I get to drink both. But, <laughs> but just to sit there with him and talk. And, and I thought it was really cool, uh, Lana, who, who we, we get stuff from. Uh, she's a, a prophet in, in um, uh, Australia. And she came out a couple of months ago with that, 
you know, coffee with Jesus or what, I can't remember what she called it, but I thought, yeah, I resonate with that. That's, that's awesome. By the way, when we go to Nigeria, can we figure out how to get them loving coffee? Yes. I, I think we need to bring that to Nigeria. And creamer, yes, creamer. We can get coffee there. I'm not sure how to get our flavored creamer there. Anyways, but, but the, the point, the point, right. I want to read to you, okay, that was Psalm 27, 4, but, but listen to the next, okay, so David's stating, I want to be with you all the time. I want to be with you every day, right? I want this intimacy with you to where we're, we're never separated, ever, right? Then verse 5 says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. See, he didn't promise David, if you stay in the secret place, you'll have no trouble. And see, we're, we're at a point in this church, if you haven't figured this out by now, it's, it's really important that you do. Right? We are going to face trouble. We're going to face persecution. It's going to happen. I don't know in, in what ways. You know, certainly we've already faced, you know, people thinking we're a cult and thinking we're whacked and all that. But see, facing persecution is part of it. It's part of it. There's not a single person in the word of God that you can show me that has relationship with Christ that did not have trouble. Why is that? Why did God not give us a single example of somebody who had no trouble in life? Because it doesn't exist. It can't exist in a world that Satan has free reign in. It can't exist. So he's wanting us to understand you don't have to be afraid of it. You can know it's coming. You can have victory over it. Why? Because he promised to be there with you. You ever go into a trouble situation that you didn't cause? By the way, we have to set those aside if we cause them. But have you ever gone into a trouble situation recognizing, Lord, do what you want through this. Show, show who you are through my attitude. Show who, through, who, who you are through my responses. That's the only way Paul and Silas could have done what they did. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary to me, because if, if you read that passage, what happens after, you know, they, they're saying the earthquake comes, then, then the, the guards are... You know, the head guard's about to kill himself because he thinks everybody's run away. And Paul goes, no, 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 we're still here. No worries. Okay, guess what happened later? Paul then brings up this little fact that he shouldn't have been in jail in the first place. Don't you think that's something he would have brought up at the beginning? No, I can't wait to ask him some of the, you know, if he knew, which the Bible said that he was told things that were going to happen before he went into a city. I, man, talk about faith. Because what would, it, it would be natural for us to think, okay, well, this is going to happen. Okay, how do I avoid that? How do I avoid that? How do I avoid that? But that's not what he did. He, he went, okay, that's supposed to happen. Boom, straight into it. 
Straight into it. I could talk beforehand, but I won't because that jailer needs to be saved. Now, I'm, I'm not saying he even knew that was going to happen because I'm going to guess he didn't. But God did. God knew that that testimony needed to happen for that jailer's sake. God knew that that testimony needed to be written down for our sake. So he allowed Paul and literally led Paul into that trouble and said, don't worry, I'll be with you. Don't worry, those 39 lashes that you're going to receive, I'll be with you. That's extraordinary to me. You know, we don't live in a persecuting society like that. I mean, we do in terms of maybe maybe their speech. You know, they'll laugh at you for being a Christian, or they'll laugh at you for, for wanting to live a sanctified life. But they don't beat you for it. Unless it's on the playground. Right? But you're not going to get 39 lashes that rips your back open with deep gashes and cuts. But yet that's what Paul was facing. And he ran to it. With no fear. Why? Because he knew the relationship that he had with God was more powerful than that pain. Do you think he felt pain? Sure. I'm sure he did. Do you think maybe God curbed the pain? I would almost think he had to. You know, I, I, I get at it. I just can't wait to meet Paul. Because I get, at a, I get a kick out of the fact that when they were shipwrecked and they go on that island and they're, you know, all, the, all these people think that, that well, they're, they're there and they're, uh, uh, they're all convicts, so they got in a shipwreck because God's going to take their lives and whatever, and they deserve it all. And then Paul's just kind of stoking this fire, and this, this, this snake just goes latches on his arm. It didn't say, not like a rattlesnake. A, a rattlesnake will strike and pull back, right? If you've ever seen rattlesnakes. I've seen a few. But this bit and latched on. Paul's reaction was, threw it into the fire. Now, I don't know if he didn't feel pain, but that's like putting two needles in your arm. Well, probably more than that with all the little teeth. And it just hanging there. Now, I, I don't know. I know that they expected him to die right away. So this was a extremely poisonous snake. What I picture is a green or a black mamba. That's what I picture. Because it's called a two-step. You're, you're not going to live unless you get help right away. And that's what they expected when they're watching him. They just, oh. That was Paul's attitude. Did he feel the pain? I don't know. I imagine he probably did. But did God want that to happen? Yeah. Yeah, God allowed that to happen for a reason. Because it was, it was the very thing that allowed Paul to say, we're not gods, but we serve the God. And for people to become saved. See, God's going to use you in your life, things that are going to happen to you. You can react and say, why is this happening to me? Or you could say, God, do your will. You know, if it hurts really bad, God, curb the pain a little bit for me. But do your will. 
do your will. Bring me to an attitude. Bring me to a place in my life where I see your will through this. Not just the fight. Not just the pain. You see, Jesus did the same thing on the cross. And, and what an extraordinary testimony. You know, on the cross, after going through everything he, he went through, he said, don't hold it to them. Right? He loved up to the very last moment. Jesus was human. Don't think he didn't feel pain. He felt pain. Jesus was human like you and me. So why should we, if we're wanting to be like Jesus, why should we think that we would escape the very things that defeat the enemy? Because it was the cross. Through Jesus taking on our stripes, he said, by those stripes, by his stripes, we were healed. And yet we want to be like Jesus. But no, only the good parts. I want to be like Jesus, but, but let me be like Jesus when he's feeding the 5,000. Let me be like Jesus when he's commanding a demonic person, the demons to come out. Let me be like Jesus in all these times because, because what a great testimony. Now, you know what? First of all, those aren't the greatest testimony. The greatest testimony was him being beaten for us. Was being put on a cross for us. Right? The testimonies of, of when they were going to stone him in the sanctuary in the, in the, uh, uh, where he was preaching. And then all of a sudden he just gets out of there. What a testimony. How in the world? I can't wait to ask. Yeah, I hope God has video of everything because I want to watch it. How did he get out of that crowd? I mean, they're all just all of a sudden figure out he's not there anymore. You know, that's a testimony. That was his father being with him in the time of trouble. Why? Because Jesus had a relationship with his father. He had to build that by faith, just like we do. Do you know by faith he had to accept his father? He, he wasn't born as a baby with full knowledge of who he was. It says in the word of God, he learned obedience. He learned through faith the same as us. And he had more that he had to accept by faith than we do. So don't be afraid of what comes against. And I want to, I know we're, Running long. I want to. I want to share one more. One more thing, because Jesus is talking to his disciples in this. In this. Uh, in Luke twenty-one, and here these are the disciples that have been with him now for three years, and and he's pouring into them. He's built relationship with them, and according to today's Christianity, he should be telling them, "I will keep you out of all trouble." No one's going to touch you because you're, you're, you're with me. No one's going to even, even bother you. Okay? You don't have to worry about that. You just keep relationship with me and I'll keep them all away from you. That's not what he said. 
verse 10, and he's talking about what is to come. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And he's, he's talking about, by the way, in this one, um, he's talking about the end times um, because there, there's, a, there's a similar one. Um, and, and theologians look at it similarly in Matthew. Matthew's actually talking to Israel. And in Luke, it's, it's a talking about end times for the Gentiles. But I, I won't go down that rabbit hole right now. But there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Okay, he's talking to the disciples. And by the way, he's talking to you and I. Okay, They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. The next verse explains why. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your mind. Not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. He's saying, this is going to happen, guys, because I need it to happen. This is going to happen because in this very act, you are going to be able to proclaim me in a way you couldn't in the good stuff. Because this will require faith, and that faith will be shown true. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Again, don't be confused what it's talking about there. Because real life is the second life or second death. What they will gain when they walk in his will, what we will gain as we walk in his will is the very life that he has for us when we're with him. Don't confuse this. This isn't your salvation. He's not saying you got to do all this, then you get to be saved. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have a will for you, not only in this life, but I have a will for you in the life to come. The Bible talks about rewards, talks about crowns. See, he has a will for us in that next life. And he's saying, by following his will and doing what he wants, by faith in this life, we will gain that life in the life to come. That life that is his will for us to gain. That's an extraordinary thought. And really, when you understand that, you begin to understand the... the, the lack of importance that your will plays in this life. See, it's, it's not that 
God doesn't honor our will in things that we want. What he tells us in relationship is we need to develop the mind of Christ. What does that mean? Give me, give me a hundred things that Christ is like. I'll memorize them. I'll walk in those ways. And so I can be like Christ. Is that what that means? No. That's what legalistic churches do. They try to act like. And yet the root of them is missing. The relationship, the intimacy is missing. Right? What he wants is you to be in that secret place. All the time. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell, that I may abide, that I may stay, that I may marry into. Inquiring in his temple, being in his temple all the time, being with him in relationship constantly. That's what he wants. And that's where you can apply all of these passages when you're walking in relationship with him and you're led into a place that is coming against you, you can say, I believe in the Lord. I trust you, Father. Do what you will. And he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will do my will in that case. And you don't have to be afraid. No matter what happens, there's no fear. There's no fear in relationship with him. If you're living in fear, there's something lacking in relationship. Do you understand me? If you're living in fear, whatever it is, fear of harm, fear of lack, if you're living in fear over your finances, if you're living in fear in any way, it is a lack in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in relationship, you recognize he's the one who does all that. All that. And you could trust him in it. So relationship is just about saying yes. Saying yes to no matter what. No matter what, Lord. I, 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 I will not put my own parameters on what I want in this relationship. I step into this relationship, I give you my yes to do whatever you want. Why? Because I trust you to know what be- what is best for that relationship. Because I don't know my future outside of what he shows me, but he does. He knows what he has planned for me the rest of my life. He knows what he has planned for you the rest of your life. He knows what he has planned for you even in the life to come. So why not let him guide that relationship? No matter what, that's what he wants. Father, we worship you and praise you. Lord, I pray this morning that your will be done. I pray, God, that as we lay our hearts on your altar, God, that you show us those places that we live in fear or live in lack. And Father, help us to sacrifice them on that altar to you and just give them to you by faith, knowing that you prepare tables.
before our enemies for us. This banquet table that makes no sense surrounded by the enemy, but you give us peace there. Because we're supposed to be there. And we're supposed to give it to you and let you lead. We worship you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love Psalm 91. Oh, man, I just uh, love that. That was a, a really great um, take on that. And I want to just say one quick thing before we give a couple of announcements. Um, the greatest promise that, you know, depending on the lens through which you heard this message this morning, if you are looking at, well, wow, it's going to take such extraordinary faith for me to not see that the trials and tribulations of my life will actually be worth it. You know, sometimes even though you believe that, it doesn't give you the hope and the excitement and enthusiasm with somebody whose faith has grown to that place. And I want to encourage you with Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That's, those are the verses with the fruits of the Spirit. There is one thing that is promised from the moment we're saved is that as we are abiding and as we're in relationship with the Lord, those fruits become a reality. And some of us, I have certainly lived long enough to experience when all my circumstances are going well, and there might be a period where maybe there's, you know, I'm meeting my bills and things are going well, not a, not sickness, relationships seem to be fine. You have that period of time where you're thinking, oh, I'm doing pretty good. When you can experience a circumstantial, wonderful, non, you know, like everything seems to be going your way, but then not have what the fruits of the Spirit offer, love, joy, peace. It's interesting that you can have everything in this world and if you don't have those things, it doesn't matter. It, it just comes up empty. I mean, whatever is the most exciting thing you can think of having, doing, going to, a person to be with, if we don't have those kinds of fruits of the Spirit, self-control, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, all these fruits, it, you just come up empty every time. I mean, this world falls majorly short. And you probably have seen that in people's lives. If you know, if you have you know, a wealthy friend or you see people of the world that even David cried out, was like, why do the wicked prosper? But when they don't have those inward fruits, everything else is horrible. But when you do have that, that is the promise that no matter what, some of us have had the sweetest times of joy and peace with the Lord during our worst illness during maybe the most difficult financial crisis, maybe during the most trying relationship conflicts, and yet we're like, how am I so peaceful? How am I so in tune with you, Lord? See, that's a benefit that God gives that isn't circumstantial. That's why it's such a promise. So it's not just you, you buckle down and you endure. You know, when we're in relationship, that is a benefit we get that has nothing to do with circumstances. So that's why it really is worth it. To, um, to give our yes, because for God to give all that, I'd rather have that than what this world offers. Because there can be great emptiness, even in whatever we desire the most, wealth or whatever, uh, maybe even physical strength, whatever your goals are of this world. If you don't have that, read those verses again. That's, it's just so true. Um, and uh, I always say to listen to these messages again, because they're, they're so, so, so good. 
Um, but, uh, but thank you. That, that was a, a, a good word. And man, memorize, memorize, memorize the word of God. Mm-hmm. I know Brooke, uh, I think did it in the NIV and I memorized it in the King James, that, that Psalm. I needed that so desperately. The King James version of that Psalm, Psalm 91, is extremely hard to memorize. I don't know why I wanted to learn it in the King James, but I just did. Um, but I knew I needed it so deeply within me that every time I was faced with, um, trials, that I could just just have it there. I didn't want to have to go to read it to be encouraged. I needed it just there. And I've used it time and time again. And it's a very, very powerful chapter about what kind of protection and power and victory we walk in yes. um, in relationship with God. It's just, it's an amazing thing. Yes. So um, today, uh, I want to give a quick announcement.